Children's Church can be dismissed. Appreciate Joe sharing with that. I thought about the fact that uh, coming back to speak after uh, absence and and Joe's on for special music. I'm like, oh, brother. Uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, he was very kind. <laughs> very kind. Appreciate that very, very much. Matthew 28, if you would turn there, please. Matthew 28 this morning. We have wrapped up the, more or less, if there's such a thing as wrapping up the life of Christ, we've sort of done that. We're getting ready to transition into, we're going to start transitioning into the book of Acts in just a little while, and we'll do some study there for some time. But uh, I want to start Matthew 28 this morning, and again, I want to thank uh, you for your prayers. Um, It's been um, three months. We uh, had asked the church board for um, basically a leave of absence. Um, Please don't mistake it for a vacation. Um, I still want one of those. Um, (laughs) So um, just to get things uh, pulled together, things with my wife's health and mine and so forth. And uh, during that time, we've experienced uh, some very, very interesting and difficult things. And um, so it was good that we had the time. And again, I, I'm thankful for the church and uh, church board willing to allow us to do that. Uh, we had the opportunity to come and listen to some of the folks who, who came and shared. And and uh, I thought I thought every Every message I heard I thought was awesome. I thought it was good. I thought the men that came to share did an, did an excellent job. And uh, again, I, I told them to be adequate, and they were excellent. And so, um, <laughs> but um, again, appreciate people filling in and, and kind of picking up the slack. Um, it's actually good to see some of our board members struggle through announcements. Um, uh, I, I thought that was, that was good and encouraging. And, um, but uh, appreciate so much, and also the addition. Craig Johnson is going to be a wonderful addition for us as far as our uh, pastoral staff and as far as our school uh, is concerned. And so I am looking forward to uh, working with Craig. Um, and so um, that is that is one thing that happened over this time period, and I'm I'm very very thankful for that. But if you would continue to, to pray for our overall health and situation, and. Um, Part of, the, part of the three months was, you know, can we really do this um, with all the things that are going on? And what I found out is that I really do want to do this. I, I want to be pastor of this church. I want to preach God's word. I want to do what we're doing now. And uh, Brenda really wants me to do this because uh, otherwise I spend too much time bothering her. Um, <laughs> but... but um, so thank you for giving us the chance to kind of pause and, and, and get our bearings and, and uh, see where we were and be able to move from there. Uh, in future messages and things of that nature, you'll hear of adventures and lessons learned and anger and frustration and pray, praying that works and praying that doesn't work and crying and tears and all kinds of other stuff. You'll hear more of those. It's, it's hard for me to, to go through messages and not include those kind of experiences, but but um, again, very very thankful for this uh, this body, this church family, and um, 
the people enabling us to, uh, in a sense, uh, get well so we, can, uh, so we can proceed. So as we pick up uh, our, our story this morning, um, one of the, as you look at the last few verses in, in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John ends with, uh, oh, let me, let me look this one up for you quickly. John ends with, there are so many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Is he, is he exaggerating? There are so many other things that Jesus did. If they should be written, every one, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. I, I promise you, if that was the statement that I made, I'm exaggerating. But that's a statement that John made under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That makes it true. Do you realize how many things, it, it, it's not a holy exaggeration. It's just there are so many awesome things. And we even see a verse today that talks about the fact that God, uh, Jesus, during those 40 days that he, he continued to teach his disciples all kinds of things. And it's like there was not enough time to write even what those new things were that they had learned since his resurrection. But Jesus has risen from the dead, as he said. Mary Magdalene sees him as the gardener. Other women see him and hold him and worship him. Peter sees him, two men on the road to Emmaus. And then Jesus appears in the upper room without Thomas and then with Thomas. The disciples then seem to be at a loss and don't know what to do, don't know where to turn. And so Peter takes a group of them and they go fishing. Jesus knows where they are and Jesus finds them. And he meets with them and reminds them of their commitment to catch men. And basically he says, Peter, if you love me, then I need you. I still need you. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19. Or verse number 16. I'm going to start with 16, I'm sorry. Matthew 28, verse number 16. Then the eleven disciples went away unto Galilee, into a mountain where he had appointed them. And even that particular, you can almost stop there and go earlier in the chapter, in chapter 28, verse number 9 and 10. Jesus tells, when he meets with the women, the Galilean women, he says to them, uh, there's going to be a time uh, when I want to meet with the disciples. Tell them I will meet with them in Galilee. And so here they are making this commitment. When the 11 disciples went away to Galilee unto a mountain where Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. And some doubt it. Uh, this mountain is some believed to be Mount Tabor. Um, Mount Tabor is a mountain about 11 miles west of the southern border of the uh, Sea of Galilee. So it's up still in the area of Galilee. Uh, Mount Tabor is believed to have been a mountain that you could see actually from Jerusalem. So it would be like, meet me there. <laughs> and pointing to a mountain in a far off distance. And thus they met. Some of you that know the book of Judges, uh, the battle with King Sisera and Deborah and Barak took place at Mount Tabor. And so he, it says they saw him. They went to this mountain as had been appointed, and, and it's, an, uh, it's a scheduled meeting. They saw him and they worshipped him. The word worship literally means they bowed the knee to Jesus. 
They bowed the knee. It's a word pro uh, proscuneo, and uh, they bowed the knee. But it's interesting, too, that it, it includes the fact that some still doubted. This is way, this is post-Thomas doubting. So we, get, we give Thomas this terrible rap. It's like, oh, doubting Thomas, okay? Well, long after Thomas doubted, there's still some of them that are doubting. So let's not throw Thomas under the bus quite so easily. But it says they're doubting. They worshiped him. The word worship literally means to bow the knee. And uh, it actually, in one term, it was recorded, actually means to lick or kiss the hand. Uh, literally, if you please, in a, in a reference where a dog sees his master, okay, so glad to see him. It's like, uh, you know, and just continually uh, licking an appreciation. Now, of course, I don't think they're licking Jesus, obviously. But it's that, it's that sentiment of heart. We see him. We're able to touch him. We're able to bow and worship him. So glad, so awesome that he is here. And it says, I believe this is also the place that is referred to later by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 when it talks about the fact that 500, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 6, it talks about the fact that there were 500 that saw him on one occasion. Uh, it says this, it says, After that he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto the present, but some have fallen asleep. And again, the idea, could he find 500 followers in the area of Galilee to come see? Yes. <laughs> yes. Most of Jesus' miracles that he did and most of the things that he performed was in the area of Galilee. And this is where most of the disciples were from. And so 500 there. Uh, and it says uh, 500 at once. And it's the time of Paul's writing. It says most of them are still alive until this day. And that's a kind of an interesting statement as well. Paul writes the book of Corinthians in about 54, 55 A.D. Jesus was crucified and rose again somewhere around 30 A.D. So 25 years later, Paul says he was seen of 500 and most of them are still alive. Let's kind of pause and think about that one for a minute. How many of us are going to be alive 25 years from now? but you're going to be alive somewhere else, not on earth, okay? Not on this planet, okay? Uh, you, will be, you have eternal life, I get that, okay? But the fact of the matter is, uh, 25 years from now, okay? And it says most of them were still, so maybe there's some even God provision there to prolong their lives so they are witnesses of this particular event and they can continue to share, I saw Jesus, I saw him, I was there, I was on the mount. Verse number 18, Jesus came and spake to them, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. It's an interesting statement as well. The word power here is the word authority. All authority is given to me. And by the way, it's a delayed answer to the question. Uh, Jesus was in the temple in Matthew chapter 21, and they asked him, uh, by what authority do you do this? Jesus did not answer the question. He responded with, by what authority did John the Baptist do what he did? Okay. But it answers the question, by what authority do you do this? All power is given to me in heaven and earth by God's power. God gave me this power. All authority is given to me. 
And then again, we have the passages of, uh, in, in Philippians uh, where it talks about uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Uh, Wherefore God hath highly exalted and given him a name which is above every name. Paul writes about it in Ephesians as which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him on his own right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principality, knows the far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and given him to be the head of all things, uh, even the church or to the church. And so he's in charge. He's above all these things. Every knee, every tongue will bow. Every knee, every tongue will confess. And then we have what is called the Great Commission. All power, all authority. Uh, and by the way, this authority, this is the whole issue. All authority, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. This is the issue with man and God. It's the subject of authority. Why, why are there atheists? Why are there evolutionists? Because these are people who do not want to be under the authority of God. If I'm an atheist, there is no God, so I don't have to be under his authority. And by the way, if you stop and think about it, if there is a God who is the awesome creator of the universe, who is responsible for my life and breath and everything that I can do, if he is the almighty God and all power is given to him, do I not have some responsibility to him? Do I have not some accountability to him? If he has the authority, it's the same. You know, I, I, can't, I cannot tell you how many times I would have a conversation with my father and I would say, why? And he would say, because I said so. I'm like, but I said so. Who has the authority in this house? He did. <laughs> why? Because I said so. And the same thing here is, is these people don't want, it's like, if there is no God, then I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to do what he says. Or, or I'm an evolutionist. If, 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 he, if he's not a creator God and I just sort of happen by happy accident, who am I accountable to? Man does not want to be accountable to God. And so they invent these things so that there is no God or somehow there's no accountability because, you know, we just got here by a happy accident. But the fact of the matter is, if you believe there is a God, and he is the supreme, awesome God of the universe, and he's given all this power and authority to his son, Jesus. Then that carries with it some responsibility. Again, I, I've shared this with you a thousand times before, but uh, my, my daughter would say, many, she's, she's our oldest of our three children. Two, I have two sons and a daughter, and she's the oldest. And I cannot tell you how many times she, in a bossy tone, would stand at the door and tell the boys, it's time to come in for supper. And they would go, <laughs> okay. They would not, you know, it's like, I said it's time, you know. Mom said it's time for supper. I'm telling mom, <laughs> okay. And we just need an authority. The boys did not recognize her as an authority. But she plays the mom card, plays the dad card, and all of a sudden now we have some authority. If he has all authority, that means he has all authority over my life. It means when he asks me to do something or tells me to do something, 
it's really not a suggestion. It's really not a suggestion. All power is given unto me, heaven and earth. So go, verse number 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. This is what has been called the Great Commission. Go and teach. Go and preach, according to Mark 16, 15. Go and preach the gospel. Go and baptize. Salvation and then baptism for service and for commitment. And this is called the Great Commission. What, what, what Commission, the word commission is a duty or instruction given to a person or group of people. You are officially charged with a responsibility. This is your job. This is your, we later see Paul say we are ambassadors for Christ. It's the same idea. This is what we've been charged with. This is what we've been charged to do. This is the instruction that has been given, the duty and the responsibility. Go and teach. Go and baptize. Go and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the good news? I want you to look at Luke chapter 24. Turn there with me, please. Luke 24. This is the end of the book of Luke. Again, seeing how this book closes out. Luke 24. Again, some of this will be familiar as we talk and review it. Luke 24, verse number 36. And as he thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. And again, this is in the upper room. He stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, supposing that they had seen a spirit. By the way, I hate to be affrighted. Um, being affrighted scares the daylights out of me. Um, you wait for it. Yeah, so you have to just wait for it. Um, Peace be unto you. They were terrified and affrighted, and suppose they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you so troubled? Why do your thoughts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet. It is I myself. It's me. It's like, what's the problem? It is me. It is I myself. <laughs> Handle me. And see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they believed not for joy, what a strange phrase. They believed not for joy and wondered and said unto them, he said unto them, have you any meat? Uh, this believe not for joy is, is literally the, the simplest definition I can give you. It's just too good to be true. Someone calls you on the phone and says you've won the publisher's clearinghouse and you're going to get thousand dollars a week for the rest of your life <laughs> I'm pretty joyful about that but I don't think it's happening it's a good plan but it's like yeah I don't think so I don't think it's real it's too good to be true it can't be real it's got to be a dream and that's the reaction of Jesus it's like this is awesome if this really is him if this really is him this is so awesome and it's so joyful and they're filled with joy but the doubts are still all over the place and he says, do you have any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and ate it before them. See for yourself. And then he said, these are the words which I spoke to you. Do you not remember? While I was with you before, all the things, they're now being fulfilled. 
I, I told you all this stuff about the stuff that was in the law of Moses and, and, and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. All these prophecies, I, I told you these before. And again, if you remember, these are things that Jesus rehearsed in the ears of the two men on the, on the road to Emmaus. As he walked with them and talked with them and told them about the law and the prophets and hear the Psalms and the, and, and the witnesses and the prophecies concerning him, he says, these are all things that have to be. And so once again, can we find in the Old Testament scriptures evidence that Jesus is going to be a suffering servant, a person who's going to die on a cross and, and pay the price for mankind's sin? The answer is yes. Jesus said, these prophecies are all concerning me. And then he opened their understanding. I really believe verse 45 should be your prayer and my prayer. Every single time we open this book. Please, God, open my understanding. Now, the interesting thing here is Jesus opens their understanding so they can, they, so they can get it. This will become the role of the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within us. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, to teach and, and make these things and bring these things uh, to the remembrance of the disciples and to help us to see and understand and to guide us through all truth. He opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer. What is the gospel? Christ needs to suffer. And then to rise from the dead the third day. Those two things, the suffering on the cross, the rising of the dead, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. Repentance and remission of sins. Repentance, the word means to change your mind. And every time it's used here, prior to people becoming believers, it's about change your mind about what you're trusting for salvation. Repentance is used a lot of times talking to the Jews. Repent, repent, repent. Stop thinking that being born a Jew is enough to get you into the kingdom. You need to change your mind about that. You need to change your mind about who Jesus is. You need to change your mind about how to get to heaven. You need to change your mind about that particular way. In fact, the remission of sins or forgiveness of sins, a payment that involves forgiveness of sins, is available because Jesus died on the cross. And it should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then you'll see the pattern here, of course, when he talks in Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And he said, you were witnesses of these things. Paul would talk about something similar in Acts chapter 20. Paul talks about serving the Lord with all humility of mind. And with many tears and temptations which befell me in the lion weight of the Jews. How I kept back nothing. If it, if it was profitable to you, I kept it back. I didn't keep it from you, but I've showed you and I've taught you publicly from house to house. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God. Changing your mind about God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Changing your mind about what, you, what God expects or what you think, how you get to, to be where God is. And even changing your mind about the reason Jesus came to earth was to reveal God to mankind. So that man would change their mind about God. We have a God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Change your mind because God so loved the world. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for just a minute now. 1 Corinthians 15, turn there please. 
Because you're talking about what is the gospel. Because I want you to go preach the gospel. I want you to go preach the gospel. I want you to baptize. I want you to, you know, those kind of things. Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians is known as the resurrection chapter. And he starts with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, uh, gives a definition, somewhat of a definition of what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto, which you also received, and wherein you stand. He said, I declared the gospel to you. you I declared it. You received it. By which you are saved. <laughs> if you keep in memory that I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. And he, basically, there's some sarcasm involved in verse number 2. Uh, don't you remember? This is what it's all about. This is what salvation is all about. This is the gospel. It's good news that saves you. And he says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ suffered for, or Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He said, this is the good news. This is the, this is the gospel. I preached unto you the gospel. I declare it to you that Christ died for our sins he was buried, then he rose again. Now what we can, what we, I guess what the word I'm looking for is what we, um, I keep wanting to use the word contain, but that's not right. We talk about, when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the plan of salvation, there's some parts that we give first, to some extent is not really the gospel. The word gospel means good news. But there's facts that need to sort of be shared. And one of those facts is we start with something like, all have sinned. Why do I need good news? Well, because all men are sinners, everyone. There's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And then it goes on to say the wages of sin is death. Uh, eternal separation from God forever. Okay, I'm a sinner, and because of my sin... I'm going to be eternally separated from God forever. Okay, okay, this is not good. This is not a good state. This is not a good situation to be in. And then I cannot save myself. So you put those three things together. And, and I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm going to be separated from God forever. And I cannot save myself. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for some good news. These three things are not good news. The good news begins with says God loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because, because I'm a sinner, because I'm going to be separated from God forever and I can't do anything about it. God loved me so much that he did something about it. The good news is he made a way for me. I can't save myself. I can't get to heaven on my own. I can't do it. God knows that. So he says, I'm going to give you, another, I'm going to give you a way. And that way is going to be through my son. God loved us so much that he died for our sins. That's the, where the good news starts. He came to die. This is the cup that I've been given. This is the responsibility that I've been shared. From the time of his birth, what we would say at Christmas, from the time of the babe in the manger, from the start to the, to the finish, he came to die. He came to pay the price for our sins. He came to make salvation available to you and me. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. If you look in verse number three, uh, fulfilling the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to scriptures. Uh, that's the other good news, that there is life after death. That he paid the price for our sin and there is eternal life 
to come. Not just that our sins are paid for, but we have something more. And then, and then in 1 Corinthians 15, it's like, do you have any proof of this? He, he died for our sins and he, and he rose on the third day. Is there any proof? And verse number 5 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, yeah, he was, he was seen by Peter. Well, he was seen by all the twelve. Now, the twelve interesting here is a name given to the group of disciples. Even though they're absent Judas at this particular point, it's still called, they're still called the twelve. And then he was seen by 500 brethren at once. And this is what we talked about, the Mount Tabor situation. Uh, of whom the greater part remain under the present, but some have died, some have fallen asleep. And then he was seen of James. And the James here is Jesus' brother. This is an interesting statement. Jesus literally appeared to his own brother who was not a believer. Everything in the scriptures, everything in the gospels indicate that his own brothers did not believe in him until after the crucifixion, until after he rose from the dead. They would be among the crowd said, prove it. You know, get mom off the hook. Why don't you, if you really are the son of God, do something. Show some miracles. Show some awesome things so we can, you know, you know. what is it like to be the brother of the son of God, the virgin born son? You know, it's like. You realize? <laughs> My little brother was as close to perfect as you could possibly be, and he still is. Uh, if you knew him and you knew him well, you'd like him a whole lot more than me. Uh, he's, he's, he's a nice guy. He really is a nice guy. He is harmless and a nice guy. But he wasn't perfect. And um, imagine being the brother someone who was perfect who your mom said oh he was uh, virgin born it's like, <laughs> he's the son of God and he's working in a carpentry shop uh huh sure he is but he appears to James who later would become the, uh, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem and one, and actually, James will be called, interestingly enough, uh, a um, uh, he'll be called an apostle. Interestingly enough, and then of all the apostles, and there's another one that's going to throw us, in, and I'm going to save this till next week, because next week we're going to talk about Peter and and replacing Judas and so forth, and are there twelve apostles or are there thirteen apostles or are there <clears throat> fourteen or Maybe 15, maybe 20, maybe or so. Okay, Talk about apostles. But it's a different group, if you notice, that different from the 12. He said they've seen of the 12, verse number 5. Now he's seen of all the apostles. And then he says, last of all, he's seen of me as one born out of due time. Paul basically says, you know, it would have been so awesome to be born earlier. If I'd have been a little bit older, I could have been one of the 12. I could have been one of them. An apostle, one sent on a mission. Jesus says, I want people to believe, so preach. I want people to take a stand and be firm in their commitment, so baptize them. I want people to mature and grow, so teach them. And again, Matthew 28 talks about teach them all the things that I've commanded. I will help you. I will be with you always. 
Mark 16, 20 again talks about the fact that they went everywhere. The Lord working with them. And again, this idea of bapt- being baptized is, uh, he said, I want people to be committed. Uh, I don't know if I have some verses up here about that or not. Um, yeah, this is similar to what Paul writes to Timothy. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, commit thou to faithful men that they may be able to teach others also. That is, I want, I want people to be saved. I should preach the gospel. I want them to make a commitment, to be bold enough and brave enough to step forward, to be baptized, to say, I don't care who knows. And then let them grow, let them mature, teach them. And so they could grow and teach others also. And they went forth, it says, they preached everywhere. The Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs, following. Amen. Now I want you to look at the book of Acts, please. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Now, if I told you all that was introduction, (laughs) it would serve you right. It's not, but that's (laughs) Acts chapter 1. Next week, we'll go back, and I'll talk about Theophilus, and we'll talk about the authorship of the book of Acts and so forth, but... The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. He's talking about the fact that the writer of the book of Acts is, the, is Luke, the writer of the book of Luke. And he says, I, I, I told about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day that he was taken up, and, and that through the Holy Ghost also given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining, pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard of me. Many infallible proofs. He says here, he showed himself alive after his passion. Again, you've heard, of course, of the passion of the Christ. The word passion uh, you know, I, there's, a, there's a place where you could take the word passion and argue the fact that it was Jesus' passion. I must go to the cross. I must drink the cup. Uh, he was passionate and he had a zeal. It says, the zeal of my father's house has eaten me up. But the word passion here, as, as is used, simply means his suffering and his death. Suffering to the point of death. So it says, he showed himself alive after his death, after his suffering to the point of death. By many infallible proofs. And again, when, it, when he talks about the facts in, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about the fact that 1 Corinthians he was seen by Cephas, seen by this guy, 500 at once. Uh, these are infallible proofs, which simply means deception. The, the idea of deception is impossible. We saw him over a period of 40 days talking to us about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And this basically is not setting up his kingdom, but this is everything that has to do with anything about God. Well, you and I live in the kingdom of God. This is all God's kingdom. And so Jesus is talking to him and sharing more additional things with him. And again, this is where I said that there, we have nothing recorded of what Jesus taught them in that 40-day in that period. But he just says that he spoke to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. They were assembled together and they told not to, now they, don't depart from Jerusalem. Wait there for the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? 
promise of the Father was started through Jesus. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to talk to my Father, and He's going to send the Holy Spirit in my place, another comforter like unto myself. Behold, I will send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. John says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter. And again, the word another means like unto myself, or another of the same kind, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. But when the comforter is come, I will whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye shall bear witness, because I have, ye have been with me from the beginning. So he says, the Holy Spirit is coming. Verse number 5 of Acts chapter 1. John truly baptized with water. But you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now, or not many days hence. The word baptized means to place into. This makes baptism, the definition of baptism so simple. Place into. Okay. Let's see. If the word for baptized means to place into, uh, water baptism. Placed into the water. Okay. Uh, Holy Spirit baptism. In this case, it's the Holy Spirit placed into us. And there's actually, the Bible actually talks about a baptism of fire. Now, would you like that one? <laughs> Placed into the fire. No, no, no. We, that, no, that's not the right one. Okay. John baptized. John placed you into the water. And you identified with me and, as one of my followers. But I'm going to put the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's going to be placed into you. Um, not many days from now. Verse number six is completely out of the blue. Everything we have talked about this morning. Jesus' last words to these disciples. I want you to go preach the gospel everywhere. Everywhere. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to baptize people. I want them to make a commitment. I want, I, I want you to teach them so they'll grow I want you to do this. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I will be with you. I will help you in all these things. And completely out of nowhere, then they that were come together ask him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Hey, uh, how close are we to um, ruling and reigning with you? How close are we to you getting rid of those Roman guys? How, how, how close are you to making Israel a kingdom, a world kingdom again? Putting our name back on the map and so everybody comes and bows the knee to... How, how, when's that going to happen? <coughs> Will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? It's almost like they never give up. James and John's mom came to Jesus... Hey, when you set up your kingdom, I'd like my son on the left and the other son on the right. I don't know which one she favored, but one on the left. And it's a, 
the kingdom. We want to be kings. We want to rule. We want to win. We want all this to be over with. We want to know. In verse number seven, he says, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. But that's what we want to know. You know what's amazing? There's a million things that we want to know. And most of them, God says, I don't want you to know. I want to know. He says, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times or the season which the Father put in his own power. But what you do need to know, and you see that word in verse number eight, but. But you do need to know. You will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And actually, it almost equates this backwards in the King James, but it's, the power is going to come from the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost gets here, you're going to have power. Verse number seven, again, the two words, power is used in verse number seven, means authority. God hath put under his own authority. In verse number eight, it's a different word for power, which means power, which means uh, ability. One is authority, one is ability. You will receive the ability once the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. You will be witnesses. When, when are we going to be kings and reign with you? It's not for you to know. That's in my father's hand. That's under his, my father's authority. But what I do want you to do is that you're going to get some help. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to baptize. I want you to teach. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to help you. I'm going to give you some help. And you're going to be my witnesses. What is the Greek word for witnesses? What does that look a lot like? You're going to be my martyrs. But we want to sort of be kings and rule and stuff with you. When's that going to No. What I need you to know I need you to know what the, you don't need to know when's the rapture coming? When are we going to get out of this mess? When, when, when is everything going to be made right? How much longer? He said you don't need to know that. He said what I do want you to know is I want you to know what the gospel is. And I want you to know that I want you to share it. And the Holy Spirit's going to help you. Those of you that have been around for service after service and funeral after funeral, if you've heard me say it once, you literally have heard me say it hundreds of times. All men are sinners. The wages of sin is death, and I cannot save myself. God loved me so much that he sent his son to die in my place, to be a substitute sacrifice. And all that he asked is that I must trust Jesus only. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You, what God, God wants you to know that. Not just for your own salvation. But he wants you to know what the gospel is. 
and he wants you to share it. Be my witnesses. Where everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. He wants you to know it. He wants you to share it. What do I want to know? Doesn't matter. What do you need to know? This is what you need to know. You need to know the gospel. You need to know that Jesus wants you to share it. And you need to know that the Holy Spirit's going to help you. And you might need to know that it might cost you your life. Must trust Jesus. That's what. It is not for you to know the times nor the seasons. But it is for you to know the gospel. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for this opportunity. May each one here completely understand the gospel message in their own life to the point where if there's someone here that does not know you as Savior, that they may get that matter taken care of today, that they're in huge trouble until they come to a point where they put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. May they understand it enough to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And then, Lord, may we understand it enough that we can tell others we need to share this with other people. And rest assured that the Spirit of God will help us and be with us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan, that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.